Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, August 25th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, the mayor discusses the resources the city is offering up to help evacuees fleeing the devastating Yellowknife wildfires. Former President Donald Trump was back in court Thursday, this time in Georgia facing charges regarding his efforts to overturn his 2020 election loss. We discuss the impact this latest indictment will have on the former president's quest to return to the White House with Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. And finally, a new study finds that the value of news is far higher than policymakers and publishers think it is. We hear details on the research and how it applies to the current news ban from meta-owned social media platforms from Courtney Ratch, professor of law and policy from the UCLA Institute for Technology. What support is the city of Calgary providing to those displaced by wildfires? Joining us to discuss this and the latest news from City Hall is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate the earlier time. She seems to always slip us in. This is fantastic. So let's get right to it, uh, Madam Mayor. Uh, Calgary, we've become one of the big destinations for a lot of the evacuees from the wildfires in the Northwest Territories. So what is the city doing to help those impacted by wildfires? What's that look like? Well, thanks for that question. And, you know, I think it's important for everyone to know the role that um, each organization is playing. The city has set up a reception center that is open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the Westin Calgary Airport. Um, This is for provision of any type of support that people are looking for. We answer any questions that they happen to have. There's about 3,000 people that have been evacuated from Yellowknife to Calgary. And those folks are staying in about 50 hotels in and around Calgary. And uh, we have been working with them to make sure their needs are met, including uh, the ability to stay with their pets or have their pets taken care of as well. Is there any sort of um, like collection or anything like that for folks that might need some extra things that we can donate in the city, for example, residents here, if we want to try and do something? Well, right now we are coordinating with the partners that we have to ensure that services are getting directly to evacuees. Uh, there is not any type of a donation center set up at this time because we're still trying to identify what it is that people need. So please stay tuned. We'll let you know if there's something that can be done in terms of assistance. Um, and also if you are able to look at the webpage for calgary.ca slash wildfires or go to the Northwest Territories webpage, there's lots of inf- information there about how you can be of assistance. Perfect. Switching gears somewhat, affordability been top of mind for many Calgarians. It, people have seen spikes in energy rates as of late. What does the city plan to do or what can the city do to address affordability concerns, uh, particularly when it comes to maybe energy rates? Well, one of the things that we have done is asked our administration to return to us when we go back into council session this fall and tell us what the options are available to us. Right now, with the regulated rate option being so high, our franchise fees that we calculate or the local access fees are being calculated based not only on consumption but also on pricing. So that is uh, causing the bills of everyday Calgarians to go up. And I'd like to understand how that model might look different, if it should look different, and how our role as a council could influence affordability for Calgarians. Mayor, kind of staying on that note, and I know we've talked to you lots about the the wonderful work that's being done downtown to turn some of the office towers into affordable housing. But when it comes to affordability, what more is the city doing or is planning to do to address the lack of affordable housing in Calgary to get some of these people to be able to find a home? 
You know, Sue, it's a really good question, and it's one that cities and, frankly, towns are addressing all throughout the nation. Uh, some of the issues that we have been up against are the uh, ability of landlords to increase their rents without too much notice and um, without any kind of strong regulation. So there is an advocacy effort that is out there to ensure that renters are well protected from rate hikes. We are also making sure that the city understands what pieces of land we have that we don't need to hang on to so we can um, sell them to housing providers and make sure that affordable housing becomes accessible through the land. We have had recommendations come from a task force that include all kinds of ideas, including a per-door grant that's available to people that are going to include affordable housing into their builds. And so we will be debating all of the recommendations that come from our administration on the 14th of September, and our goal is to take some quick action. Let's talk about back to school, Madam Mayor. It is back to school. And we were talking on the program how, you know, yes, on the calendar, January 1st is somewhat universally recognized as the new year. But this is, to a large extent, the new year. What sort of an attitude, you know, uh, comes into play in City Hall the first week, first couple weeks in September? Is it like a new year for you folks as well? It feels like that for me, and maybe it's because I I did go to school a few times, and, uh, you know, September was always, it always felt like the start of the new year, and we are coming back to council in September. Our meetings will be resuming. Our council meetings will be resuming. We'll be engaging with the public in a more formal manner again, and it does feel like a bit of a renewal time. And, you know, one of the things that I think is significant to note is that this council was able to work with our city clerk and make sure that those folks who work at the city who have kids that are going back to school are not missing that first day opportunity by having too early of a counselor committee meeting. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are excited for many different reasons. I'm just happy to be getting back into action. Yeah, for sure. I think, and Andy's taking his son to his first day of school. So I think there are lots of folks who are getting pumped for that and the kids too. I wanted to talk to you, Mayor, because we, you know, we often talk about this, how many great festivals and events that are going on around the city. And this weekend, no exception, a ton of amazing events. One of them is the big one Saturday. And we're actually, we have an interview a little later this morning with the folks um, from the Red Bull Outliers. It's on Saturday at Olympic Plaza. This is going to be huge and it's free and a ton of fun. It is an absolute ton of fun. I had the opportunity to meet some of the racers last year. Uh, I got to sit on a bike and not drive it, so you know <laughs> that was unfortunate. But yeah, it just brings a lot of energy to the city and anybody that can get out there to Olympic Plaza tomorrow, please come down and check it out. I know they're also doing a big race in the Badlands. And uh, today we are actually doing the pride flag raising on the steps of City Hall. So lots of good stuff going on. Awesome. City, city Hall is a place to be apparently. Yeah. It know. is. We're super cool. <laughs> Happens to be your That's office. That's where all the cool kids as well. work. Imagine if your office and our office was considered cool, Sue. What yeah. that would be like. um, thanks. You're cool. It's okay, Andy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks thanks uh, so much, uh, Madam Mayor. Have a great weekend. And, yeah, we look forward to talking to you in the coming weeks as things really start to ramp up as you move into September. Have a great weekend in the meantime. Yeah, great weekend to both of you as well. Thank you. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has been released on $200,000 bail after surrendering at an Atlanta prison last night. He is now the first former president to have a mugshot taken, and this morning he is defiantly using that photo to fundraise. Joining us with the latest from Atlanta is Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. Hi, Reggie. Thanks for joining us. 
Good morning. Appreciate it. Now, that mugshot is the hottest meme on social media today, but it really is an historic photo to be sure, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's historic. Not only do we have the, form, uh, the first former president to be impeached twice, to be indicted four times, but now to have a mugshot taken and to have an inmate number in the Fulton County prison system, P01135809. That number is going to follow Donald Trump for the rest of his life, both in his regular life and in his political life. And the fact that this mugshot is now being seized upon by him and his campaign and his surrogates, goes to show that where the priority is. They are kind of looking beyond the legal crisis right now when honing in on what they believe is going to be an asset to the campaign going forward. Wow. Okay, so we, I want to get to the surrender in a second and how the day played out because it seemed like we knew this was coming. Next thing we know, late day, we see this mugshot. But we'll get into what happened in between. But you had referenced it there, Reggie. Let's see, how could he use it for his campaign? What sort of a strategy you know, could this move forward and propel what he wants to accomplish? Well, look, number one, uh, it is a cash cow. It is going to drive donors to, uh, you know, open up their wallets, open up their pockets and give money to the campaign. After each of these indictments, we've seen money flow into the tune of more than $20 million uh, over the first three indictments. And money's been coming in since he was indicted uh, earlier this month. Uh, as well in Georgia. So there's a there's a way for the campaign to go to the supporters to say, look, your president uh, is a political victim. Look at what your president is having to go through. This is why we need to put him back in power because it stops this quote-unquote weaponization of government uh, and it allows for them to bring in money. It also allows for them to kind of push back on Democrats. So, so this is simply just an opportunity for them to seize on what most would see as a liability and say, look, we can use this to our advantage because it gins up anger within a base that's already very angry at how they see the way that Donald Trump is being treated. So Trump is using it to, you know, encourage fundraising. Everybody else is putting it on social media and having a good laugh about it. But really, in the end, Trump and 18 other defendants are still facing trial in an alleged racketeering case. I mean, this stuff is pretty serious. How is that case moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. It's serious. And look, the racketeering charge is a big deal. There are the, the allegation here is that Donald Trump was, uh, you know, uh, behind some criminal enterprise to try and keep himself in power when he lost an election and try to interfere in how the state of Georgia was running its election. So Fonnie Willis, the district attorney, has asked for uh, a trial to start on October 23rd. And that's because one of the co-defendants is using the Speedy Trial Act in Georgia to say, look, I want to get this over and done with. And a judge has agreed to that, uh, saying that he can go to trial October 23rd when the district attorney wants to. Now, under Georgia law, because that was requested, he would have to have a date set by the beginning of November. Interestingly, if the DA can't bring this case going uh, to, to, to trial by October 23rd, Kenneth Cheesebro is going to be acquitted of all charges under Georgia state law. With that, Donald Trump's lawyers are trying to delay it. They do not want a speedy trial. They don't even want this in state court. They want to sever this completely. So even with the opportunity for a potential acquittal if the DA couldn't bring the charges forward. Donald Trump's team is saying, no, wait, we want to delay. They want this to be after the election or simply not at all. Uh, for, for a lot of uh, folks, a lot of uh, different, you know, organizations, this would be a lot and this would be the full focus. But I'm assuming that it is to a certain extent going to be not only business as usual, but maybe ramping it up when it comes to town halls and campaigning for the former president. What, what we see coming down the pipe? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the, the, the former president is going to use this on the campaign trail, and so, too, are the surrogates that surround him. Look, last night, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the kind of firebrand Republican from here in Georgia, uh, she photoshopped herself in front of the wall at the Fulton County Jail, calling it a hashtag mega mugshot. This is now something that Republicans are going to run around the country with. Even if they're not on stage with Donald Trump, they are going to take this uh, arrest. They are going to take uh, this uh, this investigation onto the road with them because they feel that it's going to kind of uh, bolster their abilities to ensure that voters and support exists within the Republican Party. The question is, is this going to tire some voters out? We saw them gathering outside of the jail yesterday, supporting Donald Trump, parroting the words that he's been saying in the past about him being a political victim. And the question remains here, is there going to be a bit of legal exhaustion down the road uh, when voters realize that this is not something that's simply going to go away because now the indictment and the arrest is over. There are months, if not years, of trials left. And the question is, is that going to turn people off of Donald Trump? And if so, where are they going to go? I'm exhausted by it already. But one final question before we let you go. Uh, last night, Donald Trump could have been in a debate. Instead, he chose just to go on Fox News. And boy, millions watched him. Is it just a sideshow or are that many people really still behind him? Well, I think we need to take with a grain of salt when we say millions of people were watching that debate on the site formerly known as Twitter because views are counted very differently. You could have scrolled by it and it would have counted as a view if you have autoplay on. So we don't actually know how many people actually watched it. But the fact that he was able to counter program a GOP debate on a right-leaning Republican network shows that he still has an ability to control the narrative and steer the ship here. And there are people that are still interested in what Donald Trump wants has to say. Look, a moderated debate gives people an opportunity to introduce themselves and a platform and a policy. In a non-moderated environment, Donald Trump can speak off the cuff. And we've seen now for the last several years, there are people that want to hear a free-speaking Donald Trump. And that is why so many people tuned in. All right, that was a lot to cover this uh, morning, but it's been a busy couple of days. Thanks so much for your time, Reggie. We, we appreciate it. Thank you. That is a Global News Washington correspondent, Reggie Cicchini. Tech companies are profiting from news, but are largely unwilling to pay their fair share for news coverage here in Canada. Are we already feeling the fallout from the lack of news coverage on social media? And what is next? Joining us to discuss the issue is Courtney Raj, director at the Center for Journalism and Liberty at the Open Markets Institute and a fellow at the UCLA Institute for Technology, Law and Policy. Good morning to you, Courtney. Good morning. Can you explain the value of news on platforms of social media and search engines? Well, first of all, the value of news is hard to quantify, honestly, because most of these services are quite useless without news. Um, in search, for example, most people who are doing informational searches uh, benefit from having news there. Uh, if you're looking for updates on you know, the, the latest issues happening in your community or in your country, um, you're going to benefit from news. And so I think that platforms have really been undervaluing the use of news. And when you think of the value of news to artificial intelligence communities or systems and uh, the latest generative AI companies, I think it's even more. 
Courtney, you know, uh, of late people are saying now, because we can't get news on social media platforms in Canada, well, why are you getting your news there anyway? Why don't you just go directly to the website? But that's just not how we operate anymore, is it? This is our convenience sake, links to news. I mean, yeah, sure, you've got to do your due diligence, but this is where we get most of our information from, isn't it? It is. I mean, these platforms like Google, like Facebook, have become fundamental parts of our communication infrastructure. It's kind of ridiculous to say that, hey, um, you know, you shouldn't use the telephone. You should go directly to go speak to the person you want to talk to. Like, that's just not how we work today. We are in a platform economy, a platform communication system. So we have to confront the fact that these very powerful dominant platforms are intermediaries um, that play a fundamental role in our communications ecosystem. And they need to pay their fair share for the use of news on their platforms, for making their platforms more valuable to the users and to the digital advertisers um, from which they make most of their money. And it's kind of ridiculous for them to claim that news is not a consequential part of their platforms when in fact we know that they are. But that actually is a little bit beside the point because the fact is these companies should not be allowed to simply say, instead of complying with a law in a democratic country like Canada that has been passed through a normal legislative process, they're going to claim that they can't deliver news to people in order to comply with the law. They simply don't want to pay their fair share, and I think we should be deeply concerned about that. Courtney, is there a difference between a, a news story? I'm thinking on Facebook, you're scrolling down, you see a headline, uh, you know, uh, let's see, for example, local brewery wins an award, for example. If I don't click on that versus I just see it, is, is there a difference, and uh, does it have the same value? Sure. So we actually know that the majority of people don't click through on headlines. You can actually get a lot of information from those snippets. They include the headline, a brief description, and often a high-quality photo. So that's really the core essence of the news. If a user doesn't click through, then that that um, publisher is not going to receive any of the digital advertising revenue. But even if somebody does click through, Google and Facebook, which control the vast majority of the digital advertising infrastructure known as ad tech, um, capture a significant portion of the value of that advertising. So publishers are losing whether or not anyone clicks through. And the fact is, is that those headlines and snippets make that Facebook news feed more attractive, more interesting, more relevant to users. And so it should not just be about determining value based on click-through rates or what we call referral traffic. We need to get out of this myopic view of the value of news just being about that one publisher platform relationship. It's much broader about the value of news and journalism to these platforms. I've heard it said that, you know, Meta drew its line in the sand and the Canadian government, you know, tough luck. You know, what are you going to do? Meta's a giant. Meta is a juggernaut and kind of almost putting the onus on the government for what they tried to do and, and their ground that they're trying to stand on. What can we do? What do you think is even the right answer here? Can the government sort of adjust things and do we find a common ground or any middle ground, do you think, to get news back on these social media platforms? Is it possible? 
I think it is possible, but I think that you hit the nail on the head, which is that these companies are far too big and far too powerful, which allows them to escape the traditional constraints um, in terms of politics, in terms of economics, that you know most companies and entities should abide by in democratic contexts. So the fact that they're not going to comply with this law is really problematic, and we should be looking at breaking these companies up because they're too powerful. And it's not just that they control news on their platforms. Again, Meta controls Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, uh, Snapchat, these incredibly popular, you know, some of the most popular platforms in the world. In fact, all of the top 10 um, non-Chinese platforms are either Google or Facebook um, in the world. And so this is really problematic because, as you said, they can just decide, hey, we're not going to allow news on our platform. But the fact is, is that is not going to work because we have similar legislation going through Congress here in the United States, along with around the world, um, legislation in Indonesia, India, South Africa, Taiwan, New Zealand. This is going on around the world. And so I can't see that Facebook is going to start blocking news in every country around the world. I think this is an attempt to head off regulation everywhere and draw that line in the sand. And I hope that the Canadian government stands up to them and maybe gets their competition authority to look into these anti-competitive practices. Interesting topic and super timely. Thanks for your time, Courtney. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Perfect. That's Courtney C. Raj, director at the Center for Journalism and Liberty at the Open Markets Institute and a fellow at the UCLA Institute for Technology, Law and Policy. 612. And uh, yep, on that note, Sue, boy, you do what you can. And I didn't realize, here, here's my thought when it comes to consuming news on social media. Yes. I love to see the headline. And then I go and dig deeper to those sites that are important to me, that I understand, respect, and, uh, you know, maybe maybe to a certain extent align myself with. We have our favorites. Yes. Great. Awesome. But I do like to know what's going on. And sometimes I, I, I compare it to flipping through a magazine. You're not going to get a, a full essay or an encyclopedia, but you're going to get a snippet. And then you decide to dig deeper. So what do you do, right? It's it's one of those cases where we want to let you know what we're up to and, and we want to you know, correspond and, and engage with you. But that's we've kind of been cut off at the knees. Now. I, I find it really frustrating because I, you know, I don't necessarily get my news from just a random post, but I will click on, you know, I'll go to Global News' site and try to see what's yeah. going on, especially if there's something like super current that's happening. And I will often copy that link to a story and I'll post it on my own personal Facebook page because I want my friends to be aware and up to date as to what's happening. Well, as soon as that happens, nobody can see anything. Yeah. Well, and and the thing is about it is I I think that in the end you're like anybody else because if it resonates with you, you want to share it and and have a commonality. I mean, that's what it is, right? As a conversation starter or a sharing of information, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to that point, and it's interesting, the timing of all of this, we, we decided to, and we've gone ahead, and yeah, we're plugging it because we want you to join us. Search Sue Andy, one word, space mornings. Sue Andy, space mornings on Facebook, and uh, get on board with us. You'll find to do out a workaround. Yeah. We're not going to share news stuff there. It's just us having fun, you know, creating a, you know, kind of a, a, a place for all of us to hang out together. Yeah. And, you know, Les has gone uh, one step further. He was one of our lucky winners uh, last year when we had a, tickets to the Calgary Stampeders in right. the box. And he's got pictures of you and I in the box with him and the most heinous mustache you've ever seen in your life that I'm sporting. So that if that's not worth it, I don't know what is. Uh, so, yeah, you want to be searching Sue Andy Mornings and join us on Facebook.